Well, welcome to the Young Life Midlands podcast. This episode, we're going to be diving into what is our role in crisis situations. We have Kristen Lethers and Meredith McDaniel, who are both Young Life leaders and certified counselors. It's important for us as Young Life leaders to understand the difference between what is our role and what is our responsibility. I hope you enjoy this episode as my friends shared about their experiences when it comes to Young Life and crisis situations. So what I've asked them to do is both of them are um, have a background in counseling. Um, Meredith's currently practicing, Kristen practices on and off, is that right? And so um, what I've asked them to do is essentially as people on Young Life staff and even our volunteer leaders, we often get put in positions where we are in relationship with people who are grieving, or experiencing um, sudden pain in their life, or maybe they themselves are have inflicted pain upon themselves. And we come alongside them as their young life leader, but we often feel helpless because we feel like a counselor would be the best person um, to handle their situation. But yet we are still in this relationship. We're still moving forward in it. And so I asked them to come give us just some practical background thoughts on like how do we handle these things and then how do we also practically live in them. So without further ado, let's bring up Meredith and Kristen! That introduction is really all that you would need to know about us. We, um, Eric and I have been on staff together. Um, he has been on staff since 2001 and me since 2005 and um, went to Gordon-Conwell to get my counseling degree somewhere in that midst. Um, we have two kids, and so I practice some, um, and, and still on Young Life staff, and still lead at a high school. We live in Mount Airy, North Carolina, um, and that area is called Young Life of the Foothills. So my part today is going to be to zoom out a little bit on how to make sense of crisis situations, not just as Young Life staff, but as believers, and then we will zoom in as we go on, and Meredith will take it from there when we get to the more specific section. And if you have a specific thing that's going on in your life or in your ministry, you're probably dying to ask about that. And we would just ask that you hang on to that for just a minute. We're going to pass around a basket, and you can write down that specific scenario, and we will do our best to field that for you towards the end. Um, and so in the meantime, if you could just um, zoom out with me, we'll talk about big picture for a little bit. So something we would want you to be encouraged by is that in order to be good in this area, you do not have to be gifted in this area. So if you would say, hey, I don't think that counseling is really in my spiritual gifting, that's okay. You can still be wise in this area, and I think that God really asks us to do that. And as you're considering your longevity on staff, it will be really important to have wisdom in this area. And so dive in with me on that note. Um, And so, you know, if you think about... Dealing with crisis, I want us to really begin with the thought that we are not just approaching crisis as people in a helping profession. We are approaching crisis as people who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Um, And I would say that that particular member of the Trinity is not one we talk about a lot. I mean, we probably should a little bit more um, because God has imparted us with that and he is our guide. And so just something I want you to be thinking about as we move forward How good are you at listening to the Holy Spirit? How good are you at listening and being led by the Holy Spirit? My hunch is that for most of you, you're either saying, I don't know, or not so great. 
that's okay. Some of you might be feeling like you are super skilled at that. That's amazing. Um, but I would say that it is our greatest encouragement that God has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell inside us and to lead us in all truth um, and to really be our guide and our partner in crisis. And so we have been given that. We want to take advantage of that to the best of our ability. So we have a leg up when it comes to dealing with crisis. And so the other thing we want to consider, because we're approaching this again as believers, when you think about crisis, I'm curious for you um, how you receive that. And so I want us to be real honest about a couple of areas. Um, do you feel like you are a person who really needs to be needed? It's okay to be honest about that. Um, do you thrive in crisis? Does it excite you? Um, if those things are true, or does drama excite you? Like when you see that happening, do you feel like I'm off to a flame a little bit? If those are true, I would say that we might want to take a moment and confess that to the Lord. Um, because he wants to be the person, the hero in that situation. And if we're someone who's just loving to dive into crisis and that fuels something in us, we might need to check that a little bit. So I just want to touch on that spiritual note just briefly before we move forward. So another thing that's going to be really important for us to distinguish between when we think about crisis is what is our role versus what is our responsibility. And those are two different things. Um, as a counselor, surprisingly, crisis at times has felt really paralyzing to me. Um, if a kid feels suicidal or a leader is dealing with a certain thing, it has felt paralyzing. Like, oh my gosh, I, I don't remember how to move forward this. I'm stuck. I don't know if any of you have ever felt that way. Um, and I would say that we can be set free from that, that the enemy would really love to make us afraid in that. And I think what he's communicating to us when we're fearful in crisis is we think that it is our responsibility to solve that crisis. We think it's our responsibility. It is not. However, you do have a role to play. And so you want to be able to make a clear distinction between role and responsibility. You have a role to play. It is not your responsibility to solve the crisis, right? Um, that is going to be a huge network of people, the Lord included in that, that are going to be kind of moving you through that. But you, So you will just play a role. It will not be your responsibility. So be mindful of that as we're walking through that. What have you assumed? Have you assumed responsibility, or do you just know that you have a role to play? Um, if you have a role to play, you're very likely going to make wise decisions as you move forward, and we'll talk about how to do that. Um, if you think it's your responsibility, you're going to position yourself for burnout um, and for a lot of ethical dilemmas because you're going to take some things on your shoulders that really weren't meant for you to carry. And so make that distinction when crisis comes into your life, whether it's through a kid or through a leader or through a crisis in your area. Um, and I want to talk about that for just a moment. When you have crisis in your area, we live in a relatively small community, um, and there have been a, a series of crises um, in the last probably five years. Um, the death of a lot of people really close into young life, the death of several students. And I would say it's not that we have walked through that perfectly, but I do think we really aimed to respond in our role in that, and I think it has really um, positioned Young Life very credibly in the center of our community um, because we were responsible in that. We were professional in the way that we handled that. We didn't shy away from it. Um, we involved adults in that process. So it wasn't just us and the kid and the rest of the world can just figure it out. Um, and so I would say, as you think about your longevity on staff, a lot of you will be moving into a situation in the near future where you will have an area that you are leading the charge in that area. And so the way you respond to crisis is really going to matter 
um, in terms of your reputation, the Young Life reputation in that community. And so when you can do it well and when you can do it with grace and with the leading of the Holy Spirit, um, you and not, not that that's our goal, but a really beautiful byproduct of that is that you will gain more credibility and more respect in your community by the way that you have dealt with that. So we want to be great at it. We really do. Um, and the Holy Spirit, again, is going to be our guide in that process. So here's some things to look out for. If you find that you have a kid or a leader in, either in crisis, do you guys know what I mean when I say crisis? It would just be a specific circumstance. So it's different. That's an acute thing. It's different than a chronic thing. So a chronic thing might just be more someone who has kind of issues with mental illness or more instability in their life. Their home life is volatile. Those things tend to be a little bit more chronic and ongoing. This crisis is a little bit more acute. Either way, um, if you have a kid or a leader, staff person, committee, whatever it is that has that going on, and they are dominating a large chunk of your time to the point that other areas of your ministry are being neglected, that is a red flag. And that lets you know it is time for me to call in the troops, whether it's calling a staff person older and wiser than you, calling human resources, whatever it is, and we'll get kind of through the steps of that. But it can be easy because we feel so compelled. Like every kid, everywhere, that was the old motto for eternity. So we, when we have a kid like that or a leader like that, we feel like, oh, man, this is my chance. I'm going to be the one to sort of launch them into healthier living and have them become free in Christ. And so without realizing it, we have blinders on and we dive into that one person or that one circumstance and we do it for a long period of time and suddenly we've neglected the other parts of our mission. And so I would encourage you to have an awareness and a mindfulness about that if something is dominating for you and know that it's okay to say, hey, this is suddenly taken over and I'm going to need to call in some support and some help. Um, so it's okay to do that and it's wise to do that. And so if we think about practically, um, as you're walking through that, here are some thoughts um, about responding in crisis. Do not engage in an emotionally charged conversation over text message or over Snapchat. Um, I wouldn't do it. And there are a lot of reasons for that. A couple of them are the obvious ones. If someone's in crisis, it's going to be really important to see them face-to-face to see their tone, to see their body language, to really know how acute it is. Um, I am someone who doesn't realize immediately when I'm being manipulated by someone, it takes me a little bit longer to get there. The helper in me doesn't see it instantly. Um, I'm not going to see it over a text message. And there are other areas in which, other ways in which doing that just is unwise. Um, it's just not the best practice for us in ministry. And I understand it's what kids do. I mean, I'm sure you have high school kids that will text you the moment you call them. They don't answer. You're like, I know you're holding it. I, I'm aware of that. Um, but let's, let's call them to something better. And so when I have a girl that will text late at night or whatever it is and say, this is going on with my boyfriend or I'm so sad and I can't seem to get over it and I don't want to live anymore, whatever it is. I'm pretty immediately going to say, I would love to talk to you about that. Meet me tomorrow, this time, this place, and we're going to deal with this in person. Um, and I would say, so just know that it's okay to curb it. You're not neglecting that person by not engaging. You're caring for them better by saying, I want to do this face-to-face with you. Um, and if they won't do it, there's a good chance it's not as critical as you think it is. We can't assume that. That's not safe to assume. Um, but if they really want to walk with you through that, they'll meet with you. 
And so don't engage in those charged up conversations. There's just too much that can get lost in translation there. Another thing that I think is wise practice is that are you getting to know parents? So um, we are busy people, juggling a lot, um, and we want to do our part and get the kids in our house, send them out, get them to the club, send them out, meet them here, meet them there. And I think something we're missing in that is the opportunity to engage and build rapport with their parents. And I'll tell you why that's important to crisis in a second. But So when a kid is being dropped off at your house and you see their parents in their little car out in front, I want you to say, hey, would you go introduce me to your mom? You can introduce me to whoever your caretaker is if it maybe it's not their parent. And if they're being dropped off at club, at the end of club, leave the club room and go out in that parking lot and go car to car and meet those parents. Not only is that good for the just general credibility of your mission, because they're dropping off their kid with this strange 20-something-year-old or 30-something-year-old woman's house. It's so weird. Um, you want to go make face-to-face -face contact with them. And the reason that's going to be really important as you kind of walk through crisis and conflict is that that relationship may be beneficial to you down the road. And so if you're dealing with a kid and you know their parent well, you're going to have a better gauge and be able to better kind of read the temperature in their home of what's really going on, be able to better interpret the information that the kid is giving you. Or you might also then be able to say, gosh, that home really is unstable. I know that now based on my interaction with their parent or their caregiver or whatever it is. And so there are going to be instances where you really will want to say, this kid needs formal counseling. This is beyond my scope. Um, and having the parent in your corner is going to be really necessary in that because you need parental consent for most adolescents that we work with. A few of them are 18 or older. And so it's going to be really important that you have them and they see you as a credible, trustworthy source. And so lay the groundwork now. You may not need it, um, but you might. And when you do, you'll be really thankful that you made the point to go walk out and meet that mom or that dad or grandparent or whoever it is. And so let's not get tunnel vision on what we're doing, but see the broader scope of what it is that we're doing in our community. Um, if you are faced with a difficult or volatile situation, do not make that decision alone. Okay, so the next two bullet points I would contrast is either being isolation or mass consumption. Neither are great. And so when you have a situation, I would not sit there and hole up in your house and wonder, oh, how should I deal with this? God did not create you to walk alone. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He also gave the Holy Spirit in a, in a context of community and wise counsel. And so don't make those decisions by yourself, no matter how late at night it might be. If it feels really acute, oh my gosh, it feels like this person's going to end their life. There are ways to deal with that. You still don't have to deal with that alone at 1 a.m. You do not. And Meredith will touch on that in a little bit. Um, and the other option, which I think is also not great, would, would be what I would call mass consumption, where you're just kind of telling everyone that is slightly interested what's happening with that kid or that leader. Um, also not great. And so I would just say um, one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us is self-control. And I think this is an area where we need to use that, that we would really know who are the two to three to four people that are trustworthy, that also practice confidentiality, that I can tell. Those are sort of my inner circle and past that, I'm just going to have discretion, and I'm not going to do it as tempting as it might be at your team meeting to say, this is going on, let's pray. Prayer is great. Let's trust that the Lord has it. He is not relying on us to pray him into action. That's not how he operates. Um, and so we don't need to do it. And I think that you will find a lot of joy and integrity in being able to keep your mouth closed on certain things. Um, so you don't make it in isolation. You also don't make it with everyone that you can involve in that situation. Um, and that is another thing to mention. So confidentiality 
you know, in Meredith and I's profession, it's an ethical requirement, um, and we will lose our job and our license if we break confidentiality. It's not a requirement in Young Life. It's just good to do. So I would develop that skill. Um, there are things that go on that I'm home and Eric is with me and we're in the kitchen. I cannot tell you how tempting it is to want to debrief that with him. I, do, I can't and I won't. And he knows that and so we don't push that with each other. Um, and so that's not going to be the case for all of you guys. All I'm trying to illustrate is that self-control is a really necessary thing to practice and it's good. It feels right when you do it. And I'm sure there have been moments where you've shared too much and afterwards are going, whoopsie, that felt wrong. Um, and that's the Holy Spirit in you. That's him tugging at you going, hey, that's not what I have for you in that. So he is going to lead you most likely in the way of discretion. Um, here's another thought when it comes to dealing with this as a believer. Again, we're not just a group of people held around in the helping profession. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's a unique opportunity. And so I want to touch on um, what prayer would look like in that when you have a crisis situation, whether it's a suicidal kid, whether there was an accident at your school, um, whatever it is. So I think the areas in which we tend to be really mindful is we'll gather up with our team, whatever it is, and we will pray about how to move forward, right? And I would say part of what we want to be praying for earnestly is to enter the battle that is going to be taking place on that kid and their friends when they have witnessed or been part of a trauma. And so how many people would you say that you have heard at a Young Life camp or whatever it is in real life giving their testimony that a huge really cornerstone or turning point for them happened around trauma, right? And so what that says to me is a couple of things. It says to me that the enemy and his forces would really love to come in when we are vulnerable and weak and speak a lot of lies to us and say that you should be afraid for life. You should be holed up for life. God is not trustworthy. All those lies will come in. And that's the spiritual battle going on in the lives of our high school friends. Because it also tends to be a turning point in people's redemptive story, what it says to me is that God wants to use that moment for, his, for their good and for his glory. And so we want to enter in on the right side of that and be really diligent about that. So I, would, I don't want to say that to sound dramatic, but I want to say there are spiritual forces going on when trauma happens. And so we want to get together physically, be on our knees, fighting through intercession for that kid who may have witnessed a death or a car accident or whatever it is, because a lot is going to be flooding them, and they do not have the defenses in that moment to fight against that. But we do. We do through prayer. So don't just pray practically as to how we walk through it. Be on your knees in battle for them, and you will likely never see the fruit of that until heaven. One day when it all gets unpacked and the Lord says, look what could have happened in that trauma to that kid's mentality, to their emotional health, to their spiritual health, and look at this team of people that came in and cut that off at the knees through prayer and through intercession. And so be praying from that angle um, as you think about those traumas. Meredith, do you have any, as I'm looking over these notes, do you have any thoughts on what we've covered so far? Um, I would say, and yeah, I haven't introduced myself yet, but I'm Meredith and um, Ben McDaniel is my husband back there, crazy guy who sweats a lot. Um, but we are in Lake Norman, just north of Charlotte. We've got three little kids. And um, yeah, like Kristen said, we've been around Young Life for a while. And then I'm also practicing for counseling right now um, in my practice, which is called Milk and Honey Counseling. So um, Kristen, I think the only things that I would add, I knew she was going to do an amazing and articulate job at sharing the heart behind crisis situations because 
Um, I think we all just want to jump to a formula, you know, like tell me the three steps, which I am going to do, which is really hard for me to do, honestly. <laughs> um, I think as a counselor, I just kind of want to um, talk about, you know, the experience and how that's going to be. We're going to do that too. Um, but we do want to give you guys some things to kind of walk away with. Um, so Kristen, the stuff that you've covered so far, I think I would just say um, it's a high honor to get to do this with people. I think we can come in here and we can kind of go for it and start talking about crisis and trauma and just kind of feel like, okay, I want to go cry in a corner now because this is really hard and this is heavy stuff. Um, but the reality is, is I think full life, and we talk about this a lot in our area, so we've had a lot of tragedy happen also in the last five years. So I'm glad I have this girl yeah. to bounce off of sometimes. Um, but the thing we talk about a lot is just that full life is like full joy and full pain. And so in crisis situations, when we get to walk in as you know, Young Life staff or um, friends of Young Life or leaders, whatever that is, and that's walking through it with high schoolers or middle schoolers and also leaders and also staff because we're not um, you know, erased from that either. Obviously, we walk around in a broken world. So um, just remember that it's a high honor. It might feel like, okay, this is a really major tragedy and I don't know what to do here and I feel really unskilled and out of control and I need somebody just to tell me what to do and give me the three-step process. Um, but the reality is we have the Holy Spirit equipping us um, and we have our teams and we have our staff um, and we have the regional and national level too, which I'll talk about in a second. So I think that's a big part of it. I'm going to pass the baton to Mary here in yeah. a second. but. Be encouraged in this. And I, again, Meredith is making a great point that this does feel heavy and has, really has felt paralyzing to me. Um, the great news is that God anticipated where we would be right now in the world. And so something I feel like is happening, and actually now we're talking earlier, five years ago this wouldn't have felt as critical necessarily. And so it feels like the volume is being turned up a bit on... Um, not to keep using those words, crisis, mental illness. We're seeing different things. We're seeing heavier things, darker things going on in the lives of high school kids, middle school kids, leaders. Um, and so I think what's happening as sort of we end towards Jesus getting ready to come back is that we're seeing the volume be turned up on that. The great news, because God has already won that battle, is that it is also being turned up on a redemptive scale. And so we're entering into those two things sort of intersecting. And I think what we need to understand is that the church, the parachurch, and the counseling world are going to really need each other. And that's why they all keep kind of growing and, and increasing their influence on the Christian culture. It's not because one is better than the other. It's because I think that God, for just such a time as this, has created those three components to work together well. Um, because we're going to be necessary for each other. We all need to man our post to the best of our ability and not be isolated from each other, but to see each other as allies um, as the volume really gets turned up on those things. And so he's going to equip us to do that. He would never leave us alone in that um, and is going to give us wisdom and, and counsel in order to move forward. So take it away. And I love that idea of a partnership. You know, what does it look like to go into your community and actually partner with churches and partner with um, other parachurch organizations and um, schools even. You know, a lot of times we're at, kicked out of the school where um, Ben and I have led, and um, when I went in to try to talk to the principal, it was like, oh, you're a counselor? Like, could you come do some workshops and stuff like that? And we're like, oh my gosh, this could be an end for Young Life and for, you know, it's like, how can we try to work together 
um, as a community and point people in the right direction. So um, I was just going to say real quick before I get started, um, if you have any specific questions, um, Ashley, is there paper somewhere specific? Or just if you have paper in your notebook, maybe, um, if you'll just write those down, and we'll kind of start passing around the basket, Ashley will, in a few minutes. Um, that way, when I get done, we can just kind of pull some of those out. And as far, I mean, you can ask anything. Like, Kristen and I don't know what people are going to say when we come into a counseling room, so we're used to that. Um, and if we don't know how to answer it, we'll tell you that. We don't have all the answers, so please feel free that we're going to have a good chunk of time for Q&A, because um, I feel like I have a lot of Q&A in this topic. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to jump into kind of on the second sheet, or on the back, I guess, maybe for you. Um, where it says real-life examples and how best to cope yourself. Um, so I'm going to kind of go through kind of some, a few nuggets about big topics. And then I'm going to also shift into what that looks like for self-care for you, which I love to talk about. Because, again, this is a high honor to get to walk through tragedy and grief and loss with people, but it also takes a toll. It's not like you just do that and then all of a sudden, you know, you can keep going forward with your life as is. Um, and Kristen and I have both experienced that as well. So don't feel alone in that if you feel overwhelmed, ever. Um, that is totally normal. So yeah, if you just look at this first section, I wrote down um, diagnosis for high schooler or family member. So let's unpack that for just a second. You can jot down a few notes if you want or just listen. Um, so yeah, what happens when a big diagnosis comes? If that is um, cancer or just some sort of crazy illness, um, it could even come from an accident. You know, you've had some sort of trauma um, that there's no coming back from. Uh, I can, it's crazy when I start talking about these things, I can think of so many different things over the last 20 years popping into my mind. Um, so in those situations, you know, what I like to think is um, I'm not a doctor. You know, if somebody comes to me and tries to tell me this is, I'm not going to start trying to give off prescriptions like, oh, I've heard this could be helpful, you know, like, let's try to drink this special tea or this juice or whatever. Um, you just want to listen in those situations. And that's a common thread that's going to go out through every single crisis. Um, you want to hear what they have to say. Uh, you're not trying to give prescriptions. Uh, you're not trying to say this is what worked for me or my family or my grandma, you know, five years ago. Um, you just want to listen. You want to hear. Um, I do have a great resource for that, which um, actually Kristen and I have both served on this Inheritance of Hope. Um, if you want to write that down, if you have a high schooler or a leader who has a parent who's terminally ill, um, there's an amazing organization that a friend of mine started who's recently passed, um, and it gives a free trip and counseling to Disney World or New York City, um, and then they have counseling for those four days. So all they have to do to qualify is if you're 18 and younger, and have a parent who's terminally ill. So that's called Inheritance of Hope. Great resource. Um, that is an amazing, tangible way you can help and love on that family. Um, and that doesn't even have to be Young Life Connected, obviously. That can be anybody. Um, car accident. Okay, I feel like, have you? You guys have. So Kristen might have some thoughts on that. But you know, obviously when there's a car accident, it not only affects, um, you know, just the leaders in the community, um, high schoolers, but it's also affecting the whole community. Do you want to speak any? We haven't dealt with that. Yeah, um, so that happened a couple of years ago. It might have been right before Kyle came. Um, and again, I think that we wanted to say yes to any opportunity we had to. We were actually, that was a school that we do not, we don't have access into Kyle's school. Um, it happened there at East Surrey. And, um, but they invited us in, I think, partly because I had a counseling degree, but I think they would have invited us in anyways. They had sort of this 
parents, students night where they were all kind of processing that together. And it was a sweet opportunity to stand in front of them um, and in, on some levels creatively and, and sensitively proclaim the gospel um, and talk about our hope in Christ. We don't ever want to miss an opportunity to do that. That is what we are proclaiming. And so don't hesitate to talk about our hope in Christ. It is not a platitude. That is a reality. Um, and something that has kind of come of that, you know, there was a lot of coping with kids and they're they deal with that. I think what social media has done to them is really detach them in a lot of ways from actual emotional engagement, right? You know, they're, they're scrolling through their images and back to back they're seeing, you know, Kanye West doing ridiculous things on TMZ and then right next to that there's like a bomb that happened and so their, their brains no longer can really differentiate between what is real and what is not real in terms of crisis. And so when it actually happens to them, this doesn't is meant, not meant to sound critical. They're very clumsy in how they walk through that. It feels like they have no access into those emotions unless they were brought to the surface through trauma. And so I think that we really felt in the the dust will settle. The trauma will feel acute for a while. Then the dust will settle. You want to keep following up with kids, keeping that conversation going. That's really healthy for them because they will detach and shut that off most likely. So you want to keep that conversation going in a healthy fashion. And then you'll probably have a kid or two who will fixate on that for a while. You want to ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance and seek wise counsel as the dust settles and then you have the people left who this trauma becomes their identity a little bit. Um, how, do you, how do you walk with them? And so that, that was something that happened a couple of years ago. And two points with that. Um, I, and you all can keep writing questions. If you have more, you can just bring them up here. I was just thinking how, like, there's, there is this underlying anxiety with all people. Ashley and I have talked about this recently um, because it is different, I think, than it used to be. And a lot of that does have to do with swiping and... Um, we're, we're never still, you know, we're ne it's never quiet. And so when a trauma hits or a crisis hits, um, we're just not equipped, I don't think, as we used to be, um, to enter into that space. And then with that, too, when, when traumas happen, families, I mean, that really is, it becomes the ministry to the whole family, mm -hmm. which is when the most beautiful thing happens. Because a lot of times in therapy, you know, I'll see a teenage girl, and we can talk about all these amazing things, but then she goes back into her family and it's just the same cycle. So if, if I can get a whole family in my office, wow. Same thing with Young Life. You know, if you have those conversations on the front end before trauma happens, like Kristen said, but even then, if you haven't, all of a sudden you're, you've got the whole family you're caring for, um, which transitions me. And I'm just going to keep chipping away at these. I know we could say so many details about all of these. Um, but the suicide thing. So, um, you know, Kristen mentioned somebody might say something in passing on text message like, I don't want to live anymore so hard to know when to take that seriously, right? I would say always err on caution when it comes to that. Um, if you know that kid and you know their attention seeker, um, it makes it a little trickier. You know, we've had people say that in our area and it was nothing, in quotes. They were still hurting and they were still suffering. Um, we've had to get up out of concerts, you know, because they're texting in or we've had to leave it during a date night and go drive straight to the police station because it was really serious. Like, one time we had a... Um, picture of a noose on social media and a girl had sent it to me from her friend and yeah we like got up right away and we went and went to the police station and they took care of it um so yeah trying to figure out how we can get it out of out of our hands in some way just to kind of start that process mm -hmm. um but then also creating a space for the people that are left behind when it comes to suicides we had a high school girl that had gone to camp who had just gotten my phone number to come to counseling from her mom like a week before. Mm -hmm. We'd had lunch with her two weeks before with our family and with some other leaders. Um, 
and then she committed suicide. I mean, this is still hard for me to talk about because mm -hmm. you're sitting there feeling like, oh my gosh, did we not do enough? You know, you can carry that as a counselor and as a staff person, um, or you can love that community really, really well and love her family really, really well, and at the end of the day, offload that onto Jesus. You know, like that's what he is there for. We are not meant to carry those, those burdens. Um, we can't. We can't. That will cripple us and make us be paralyzed for the rest of our lives, right? Emotionally and psychologically and spiritually, every aspect of us. So in that situation, I would, and if you want to jump down to the resources section, um, when it comes to suicide, you're, we, are, we have a duty to report. It doesn't matter if you're a young life person. It doesn't matter if you're just a citizen walking around. If somebody tells you, um, you know, that they feel like they were wanting to threaten their life or that they've been abused, um, then those are, those are big red flags. We have a duty to report. Um, if we don't, that we could get in big trouble and we could have some aftermath that we don't want to have to deal with um, and experience. So what you'll do is you'll call the HR office for Young Life. That's a beautiful thing about being part of an organization is you can call the HR number. <laughs> so I think you probably all have it memorized, you know, as far as the service center goes. They can direct you to the right person. Okay, cutting. People really confuse that with uh, suicide stuff. They are so different. It's so interesting. Um, the whole root of cutting, and I've had to learn this with, I feel like every middle school, high school girl and guys um, that I see, they're, they're not cutting because they are trying to end their life. So that's a really good, important thing to know. Um, they are cutting because they just don't want to feel what they feel anymore. So um, if somebody tells you they're cutting or you see marks on their arms or sometimes they hide it, that kind of thing, um, yes, it is very alarming, but you can always reassure their parents, yeah, it'd be great for them to go see a counselor, um, but they are most likely not suicidal. Right. Do you agree with that? Yeah. It's not a precursor to the other. Yeah. You know. It's like a physical numbing, like the, mm -hmm. I can feel this in this moment and I don't have to feel everything else I'm feeling, which right. is utterly sad. Um, but that is the reality of that. So drug and alcohol abuse, I feel like I don't even need to cover that. Like you guys know, when it gets really bad, I mean, I've had a client one time who was like, I'm getting drunk every weekend because I want to black out and because I don't want to feel, and like she could articulate that. I mean, I think she was heading into, um, you know, alcoholism at a young age. I could already see it. Um, but then you've got your, I'm party every weekend. Like there's a distinction, you know? Um, so just paying attention to that when it's above and beyond the norm might require some extra help, you know, outside of you being their leader. Um, emotional and physical abuse, already touched on that. Uh, um, subheading of that would be rape. So especially girl staff in here, um, if a girl comes to you and says, you know, this has happened, she might not, she's not going to call it rape most likely. Um, she's going to say this happened and I don't really know and I was drinking and you know, whatever. Um, you need to get her to the hospital as soon as possible. She needs to do a rape kit because the first 24 hours are very, very critical. So let's say three days later, she's like, oh yeah, I do want to press charges or I do want to tell people, I do want to tell my parents. Um, it's almost too late at that point. It's really sad, but um, the reality is they need that tangible evidence. That is going to help her. And it might feel like you're pushing her too quick and she's not ready. Honestly, that's probably where I'm going to be pretty hard and just say, like, I love you and I know you don't want to tell anybody right now, but we need to go get you physically checked out right now. Um, and then we could go into more of that, but she may or may not end up wanting to report it. I've had so many people sit in my office and they decide not to report it because they feel like they're gonna be drawn through this whole process, they're gonna to have to sit and testify, it's gonna make their whole life crazy. 
I always encourage them to do it anyway, but it doesn't always. And so what does it look like to walk through life with them when they don't report it, right? Yeah. Okay, so for self-care, um, I think you just need to mostly pay attention to, we all have triggers in our life, right? So any of these traumas that happen, they are gonna deeply affect the way you feel. You might have had abuse in your family. You might have you know, whatever regrets, or you might have dealt with this substance, or um, somebody might have passed away in your family tragically. Um, just knowing what your capacity is. And I think Kristen said this really well, um, making sure that you pull in other people that can support you when you're trying to support other people. Get filled up so that you can continue to pour out. Know that if you're walking through tragedy with somebody else, you might not be as available for other friends or family members or, you know, whatever, emotionally. There might be a season where you have to kind of take the back seat in some leadership roles for a little while. I've had to do this in my own life. Um, and then you can come back, you know, replenished and refreshed, and the Lord will fill you back up out to overflow. So go get a counselor. <laughs> That's probably my last word. Yeah. Get yeah. your leaders to get in counseling. Like, if that is something that I feel like it's a luxury, I'm still in counseling from college. Um, we just need support to walk through this life with people. Okay, some of these groups, I'm going to group some of these together, and they, they go along the lines <laughs> of, when is it appropriate to suggest professional counseling to a leader or to a kid? That's a great question. And so I think you want to normalize it first. And so I am very forthcoming with telling people that I have been in counseling at many junctures in my life, which let me tell you, in a town like mine, is not the norm. <laughs> um, and I lead this women's Bible study, and I refer to my counselor as my mentor because I'm not sure they're ready to hear that I go to a counselor. Uh, but one-on-one, -on -one, I will be really upfront about that, and so it normalizes it for them. Hey, I do this. It's no big deal. All my cool friends do it too. Um, and I think if you want to really tell them why you're saying, I think this is best for you, uh, to me, it's when you have an impasse. So you want to say to that kid or that later, hey, gosh, it feels like you and I have come at this from every angle we can, and it's, it still feels a little stuck feels like you're not, we're not able, you can group you together to help them out. We are, we don't seem to be able to move past that. So I'm wondering if it would be wise to bring in a third person um, and then recommend, it, help them understand what that will look like, to not be afraid of that. Um, again, normalizing the best of your ability. But that's how I explain that to most people. You and We have done everything we can and we're stuck. So that lets us know we need some additional, additional counsel. It's not as, as offensive as you think it will be. I don't think so. Um, Maybe I'll take one more and pass it to you, and then we'll, yeah, well, I'll come back. Um, this is an interesting one. Um, how do you deal with the emotional bandwagon sort of effect, where there's a crisis at a school, there's this candlelight vigil, 120 kids come around, they're all crying, maybe 10 of them actually knew the person, right? So here's my first thing I would say, which is on us, is to guard your hearts against bitterness in that situation, okay? So there's that great verse that says, above all else, guard your heart. We used to think it was God telling us to not like boys, right? That's what we're talking about. It's not. That's not what that verse is saying. Um, what God is commanding us to do is to guard our heart against bitterness and apathy. Because when we have bitterness and apathy, we will not respond sensitively to the needs of people around us, and we will not be led by the Holy Spirit. So I am really quick when I see those bandwagon effects to give the biggest eye roll of all time. <laughs> Um, it's okay, what you're seeing is misplaced emotion, right? And so a lot of those folks have emotion from all different things going on in their lives, and they have never known how to get them out, where to put them, and so finally they had this opportunity to release. Is it related to that trauma? Maybe not, maybe not. 
but they're young and they don't know what they're doing and they don't know how to deal with what they feel. So you're gonna see some of that come out and it's okay for the most part, we wanna tolerate them patiently um, and know that eventually the dust is gonna settle. So, but above all else, guard your heart and that against bitterness. That's good, and yep. it's all valid, even if it's not related to right that. Right. Um, okay, these two kind of go together. We are just talking about two sophomore guys have lost their dad suddenly, happened in the last year. Um, <clears throat> how do we handle that? Um, not really sure. I did great with combos on the um, on the front end, and then what will go with that is what is my role um, during crisis? Um, what is unhealthy? And so I think these two go together because the reality is um, you have to have a confidence just that you are not alone. Even if you're standing alone, you're sitting alone with that person. We'll keep coming back to you have the spirit with you. Um, I have some incredible verses that I should have written on the handout. Um, but just thinking about Isaiah 43, you know, the waves are not going to crash over you when you're sitting with these people. Um, he is going to equip you. He's going to provide a way when there doesn't seem a way. Don't look back and say, oh, my gosh, I did horrible in that conversation. Um, just start looking forward and just say, okay, whatever, I was supposed, my presence was with them. Yep. I mean, that is the thing. We just got to be present with people. Um, we don't need to do a lot of talking. We don't need to know all the answers. Uh, we just need to listen. So that's a kind of easy answer to that, but I really believe it's true. Absolutely. So. Um, <clears throat> and then the only other one I have right now is what are the best steps to take when parents are not a good benefactor but aren't necessarily ne neglecting the child? Um, not, yeah. So, yeah, when you, that's so hard. When you see families not operating the way that you would hope um, and they don't, they're not experiencing full life, you know, there's only so much we can do. So I say you just keep loving that person right in front of you. Um, and you can try to enter into that family in a deeper way. I don't know what that might look like practically. Um, and not knowing when to call DSS, I think, was the other part of that. Again, you can always call the Young Life headquarters first um, or HR first, and then they will tell you, you know, this is something you need to report to DSS. I also love knowing you can call DSS with an anonymous question. So you don't have to give them any information. You can call them and just say, hey, this is happening. Mm -hmm. Is this something that I would have to report? That is gold. Mm -hmm. So you can look up your local DSS number, call them, say, I don't really know um, if this is something I would need to report. If, if it is, what would I do in that situation? And then you can hang up afterwards um, and then think about it, pray on it, and decide what you think you need to do. Yeah. You know, so. I think even now, you wouldn't think that I would still worry about this at 37, but I do sometimes when I feel like I'm going to have to make a hard call that's going to expose something in a kid's right. life. What will that do to our relationship, right? I mean, we, we befriend these kids. And so it feels like betrayal a little bit sometimes, and that's false. Um, and here's what I'm reminding myself of now. So I want to think about what is this kid going to be saying to me when they're 30 years old? Mm -hmm. And I want them to be saying to me, you know what? When I was 15, I didn't know what was good. And I didn't know what was wise. And I didn't know how to handle that. And so thank you for being willing to hurt my feelings and to disrupt things in my life because I'm bearing the fruit of that now when it really matters. So think about the future when you think about the kid now. I know it feels really intense and like you're kind of caught up in that whirlwind, but think about what are they gonna be saying to me? What are they gonna be really thankful for when they're an adult and having to function in the world? And there's a reason they came to you, you know? Like yeah. you're the only one in their life that they think will fight for them and they might not like what that fighting for them looks like right now, yeah. but they will later. Yeah. Is it wrong to ask leading questions? Creative handwriting, creative handwriting. Okay, I'm gonna go with that part. Um, yeah, I don't know, so leading questions. 
Yeah, I, I would steer clear of those a little bit. I think the safest things to say, as cliche as this might sound, when they're telling you information is, tell me more about that. Help me understand a little bit more about that, as opposed to, I've noticed that when blankety blank, and suddenly you're constructing the conversation and you're guiding it a little too heavily. So the biggest thing you want to do is to continue to create space for them in the conversation to say what they need to say. And the best tools for that are super basic. Yeah, tell me more. Reflecting back, hey, what I hear you saying, is this going on? Is that accurate? Um, and again, you're doing a lot of listening and very little talking. And I have one last nugget, and then Kristen, if maybe you do, and then... Um, I was just going to say there's always hope in the heavy, but the truth is, like, I have never felt, and I've watched other people walk through trauma, I have never felt Jesus, like, so close and so near that I have in trauma and tragedy. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Life Midlands Podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit subscribe, and we'll have more good content coming your way.